Hello and welcome to the Curious Body Podcast. I'm your host, Nyana B. For the past few weeks, I'd been terribly sick, so I didn't get an episode out like I usually do because it's my super passion, this project. Uh, Christmas was the last time and my voice was a bit, you know, under the weather. But I realized that everybody gets sick. It's one of the Buddha's teachings that we all have to deal with sickness and nobody is immune. It's kind of like a pun. No one's immune. But we're also not immune to old age and death, which was something the Buddha discovered when he left his wonderful palace, or that's how the story's told anyway. And he found this for himself because he lived quite a sheltered life like many people in the world, especially if you have a lot of money. And he discovered that he will get sick, he will get old, and he will die, like everyone else. And I think we forget this a lot of the time, because we're keeping ourselves busy with our projects and plans, and, you know, until it hits you again, until you get really sick again, or if you're dealing with something chronic, especially, um, it's it's different, you know? We take for granted our health. So in the last episode, I shared a sutta with you on sickness because it's a good reminder that we all go through the same things and we're all pretty much on the same level as human beings. Now, in this episode, I just want to share a little bit more about the Dhamma and what has come to my mind So it's more of a spontaneous fruition and a little teaching for you. So the Dharma, as it's known in Sanskrit, is a little bit different from the Pali word Dhamma. And the major difference between the word Dharma and Dhamma, as we understand it, is that it comes from two different cultural contexts. But even this is a little bit benign because the culture does not pertain to necessarily the Buddhist Dhamma and I'll tell you why in a little bit. So the Dharma in Hinduism or Sanatana Dharma, that's right in the name, is actually the universal principle that unites everything as it is. So an example of Dharma is the caste system, which is not the best representation of Dharma because it came later and it was, as I see it, a mistransliteration of the scriptures in the Vedas. But before the caste system, they had, I would think, what was similar to a class system as we see it today, especially if you're from England or somewhere like that there are definite divisions of class. So say you're a mother and your dharma was born to be a mother. You weren't born to be a baseball player. You didn't, that's that's not the universal principle. I was going to say you didn't choose that way, but in the dharma, in Hinduism, it's not a choice that you make. It's all lined up for you. And from this, it it became twisted that 
the caste system was created and, you know, you're made to be less than you are of a human being. So that's Sanatana Dharma. And from that perspective, let's say you're made to be a mother, you're born to be a mother, that's your, your societal role and also your personal role. And you break that Dharma. Actually, I'm not really quite sure how you can do it, but if you break that Dharma, then you're upsetting the universal principle. And this is the reason that Krishna came back or came once, actually. Came once or came back. I'm not sure if he was here twice. That's an interesting point. But that's why Krishna came to restore the Dharma. He saw that the universal principle was being so upset by people doing so many wrong things that he had to come back and be like, hey, you're not living the way you should live, that you're supposed to live. I need to restore the universal principle. So that's Sanatana Dharma or Hinduism. Then the Buddha came by and he was like, yo, I'm going to use the same word. It's not Dharma, it's Dhamma <laughs> in Pali. Pali is a cool language. Um, but he's going to use the word Dhamma to mean exactly the same thing, the universal principle. But the main difference is that that universal principle cannot be upset. There's nothing that can happen to upset the universal principle because it runs its own self. That's the Dhamma. That's exactly what it means. So it's not like, uh, for example, somebody can commit suicide and that's against the Dhamma. It is and it isn't because obviously you're not supposed to commit suicide. Um, it's it's a catch-22, like you're, you're taking a life, and I'm not judging here, I'm just kind of um, analyzing it. You're not supposed to take another life, let alone your own, because that's against the, the will to live, the, the life. So if you take your own life, it's not necessarily against the Dhamma, because it's happening and it was meant to happen, and it's unfolding the way it should. So, if everybody in the world does something terrible at the same moment, it won't upset the Dhamma. It will, a cosmic collision might happen, but the principle still stands, and that's Dhamma. But if that were to happen, and everybody, I don't know, shook the world and made everybody fall off, and fall into outer space, some cosmic craziness. They would have to be reborn, either here or in another realm, based on what just happened. And it's not that... Uh, this is tricky, because in one aspect we do choose, but in another aspect we don't choose. Because life is unfolding, the Dhamma is in operation always, but at one level we do think we're choosing and there are two kinds of choices unconscious and conscious choices so conscious choice in the buddhist perspective 
would be following the Dhamma like the Eightfold Path and recognizing the Four Noble Truths and doing some practices like meditation to help you achieve liberation and to see the way things really are. And unconscious decision would be gambling a lot or killing somebody else or killing an animal or messing up your life or even small things, really small things like throwing paper on the ground when you could have put it to better use or recycled it. That's an unconscious choice. And it's things we do that are so small, sometimes we don't even realize it. Like we're not looking at our feet and we might be stepping on lots of ants. Whereas if we were looking at our feet, we could avoid that. So conscious and unconscious choices related to the Dhamma. The more conscious choices we make, whether we call it Dhamma or not, the better we can be for each other and the unfolding of the cosmic order. It's going to unfold anyway, whether we're completely conscious or not. And that may be the reason, I just thought of this now actually, that for example a cow uh, can't really progress the way a human being can because he can't practice the Dhamma. He can make unconscious choices, definitely, perhaps some conscious choices, like whether to uh, eat this kind of grass or that kind of grass, if given the choice. But a cow is not great at meditating, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, so human beings in the cosmic order, in the Dhamma, have one of the best chances of liberation. And the Buddha talks about this, which is quite interesting, because we can be born in many different realms, as an animal, as a small creature, an insect, maybe a plant, maybe a rock, maybe a butterfly, or a being even on another planet, in another solar system, galaxy, universe, what not, what be it. But with those realms, and there are very specific realms in the cosmological order in Buddhism, they are the devas and dakinis, which are like gods and goddesses, and the asuras, which are lower than us, and they're sort of naughty, naughty creatures, uh, naughty beings. And then there are the animal realms, and the hell realm, the hungry ghost realm. So there's this wheel, it's, uh, I believe, called the bhava chakra. The bhava chakra, or the Buddhist wheel of life and death, if you want to look it up. But the point is that we can be born in many different ways, but the human realm is the best one because we have conscious choice for one, and also because in the god realm of the devas and dakinis, they are having it so good, and they're having a party all the time, and they're so relaxed and so blissed out that they're not trying to make anything even better. Sort of like being at a three-day festival and you're all like drugged out and you're like, this is great, I don't want it to end. That's kind of what it's like there. 
And if you're in a lower realm, obviously that's not the greatest because you're doing bad things all the time or you're caught in negativity. So being a human is like a happy medium because you can use many functions to actually progress in this life. And whatever you do, whether you're religious or not, spiritual or not, academic or not, whether you're a good person or a bad person, whatever you've done, you always have some prospect of doing and being better. And maybe that sounds a little bit mm, sort of cliche or normative, but it's true because doesn't matter whether you're the most educated person in the world or the least educated, you have a function called a mind which is able to perceive with the five senses. Can you hear that? And I can feel it. That's part of the mind. And you're able to think, you're able to create, and you're able to act and react. Every human being has this function. So education doesn't really matter because even though you use your mind in one form more, so sort of playing with words or concepts that are very abstract and uh, will please a lot of people based on your knowledge of the dictionary, that's just one function of the mind. But a less educated person can have a rich spiritual and family life and have a lot of love and it doesn't matter their educational background they have the same function but they're using it in a better way or a different way so we all come with this function that's why it's great to be a human because we can decide what functions we're going to use and actually from my personal perspective I believe we should be using our functions on the level that is more loving and more graceful and more caring and more empathetic rather than on the purely intellectual level because it's a societal thing that will please a lot of people in some circles but <laughs> this is a funny thing in other circles it will not so, you know, even scientists, they talk about emotional intelligence and different types of intelligence. We, if we're practicing the Dhamma, believe in more, I would say, emotional intelligence. Caring about people, caring about animals, caring about the earth. Tapping into what other people may need or how to be more open towards them how to feel gratitude towards your surroundings, yourself and other people on a daily basis, every day, without going unconscious, as much as possible. And really using that function of the mind to create a softness, a gentleness, something that we may be lacking. Because though many of us have a rich academic background, we're lacking in 
connecting with others and I'm talking about a true connection something where you don't feel ashamed in somebody else's presence you don't feel bored you don't feel wrong you feel comfortable I would say comfortable in the presence of others a lot of people aren't because their minds are so busy all the time projecting what they wish will make them happy for the future and the intellect is great I love using the intellect uh, I have also a rich educational background a degree in creative writing and journalism I've been to three universities but I don't flaunt it and I dropped out of academia because I knew that I could go far in an academic career or a normal career, a desk job or something like that. But the richest experiences I've had are practicing the Dhamma on my own. I wish the Buddha was here to hold my hand, but he's in my meditation, so it's kind of all good. But I've practiced the Dhamma on my own, I had to create my own motivation for that. and in the healing arts, so I trained as a massage therapist. Ah, I'm sure you don't want to hear my story, it's a long one. It's on my website anyway, if you want to read a little bit about it. But my story is like many of yours. You become jaded when you realize that life is more than the expectations put on you by society and the expectations you put on yourself uh, based on your conditioning or everything that you've picked up. So going back to emotional intelligence, I would rather choose this consciously than choose to use my intellect to be smarter than somebody else, to use bigger and better words, to outdo somebody on my bank account or make more money or um, all these ways that we try to control and restructure the material universe around us and to manipulate other people because I don't need that I don't need it I really don't <laughs> I need love I need understanding I need openness I need meditation I need chill time and I think that of all the things we can do in life this is perhaps the most commendable in terms of what is the purpose of us being here. Um, yeah, going back to, to sickness and death, what are we going to look for on our deathbed? What are we going to remember? What are we going to wish we did more or less of? Is it that we sorry for my English, fucked more people over and got what we wanted and then threw it away and did it again? Or are we going to remember the times that we were empathetic and loving and open and that our hearts were in this world alive with something? What are we going to want to remember? And it's good to do reflections on this. The Buddha encourages it quite often and vastly in the Pali scriptures. Reflection, reflection. Every day if you can reflect on something, one small thing that you want to remember, it can really help you enrich your life 
so that you don't have to look back and say, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, or I did and I knew that it was wrong. So I hope that all of us can awaken more to the truth of reality and what's going on here and be more comfortable with each other. Another point I want to make is about technology. I'm always thinking about this and the fact that our society is going so fast with technology and we can use it for good or we can use it because we want a little entertainment or to blow other people up, something like this. And you have to decide what you're using technology for and what we as human beings want to do with technology. I recently saw on a newscast the five most popular jobs or careers for 2020 and all of them, all five of them were in the AI industry, artificial intelligence. One of them was like, you know, I can't remember the list right now, but one of them was like <laughs> AI engineer. The other one was something like social media executive. And I'm like, what is that? What, what is that? <laughs> what does that even mean? I remember the days when, you know, you had to figure out the secret of Twitter and how to get more followers and you had to pay someone $5 to do that. And it was super like, wow, I just discovered this trick and it's going to help me in my life. But even though we've done that, I know we've all done that. We've done Instagram tricks, we've done Facebook tricks. And it's, it's a part of life we have to deal with now as people living in the 21st century in this technological society. But is that the way we want to live our life? That's the thing. You have experience with social media and technology. We know what these things are capable of, but do we want to go further with it? Do we want to stay at the same level or do we want to stop it? And I think there's a big divide between people who are in the tech industry and the rest of us, I would say, because people who are really into tech, they do it because they love it and I understand that, but they also want to, they have like this urge to advance technology over the human heart. And I think that's where it gets dangerous. We can't have that happening. We can, but watch out. <laughs> you know, the human heart, the human being, the fact that we're all in this together on this planet, that's the most important. And I don't care where you're listening to this from, your iPad, your Huawei, your iPhone, your radio, it doesn't matter the medium, it's the message. This is the heart of the message. And I really hope that you go away and use some of these tools because this is not just about entertainment. It's about spreading the message of the Dhamma, spreading the message of love, spreading the message of openness and going past your comfort zone and being comfortable when it's necessary but really to connect with other human beings. 
Find a way to connect with another human being. Start with one and spread your wings because seven billion of us, what we're doing here can be real magic. Think about it. Walk away, think about it, meditate, reflect, and send me a message. I'm super accessible. If you go to my website, I don't make announcements a lot, but this is one of them. If you go to my website, I have a services and donations page now, and I decided to start creating personalized meditations that are guided for you. Because I'm experienced in the healing arts, such as massage, I was trained in massage, and also healing in general through visualization and intention, and trained myself personally in meditation, going deep and figuring out the functions of the subconscious and the unconscious, etc. I can help you if you give me a call or give me a message and you can give me a call and we can talk over video or by phone, either way is fine. I'll see what your current issue or problem is and I will find the best healing meditation for you. So I will be meditating while creating a meditation for you to give it more power and to really understand you as an individual. And this is my, my, my service. So if you want to go on the website and have one of those, I would be delighted to talk with you. So have a beautiful, blessed evening. Wake up happy and refreshed and let's kickstart the new year good.